really what you're talking about is ways of introducing a new pathway. Yes. So sometimes what we have to do is it's almost to interrupt that, um, that processing, we interrupt that pathway. Hmm. I often say to my um, clients, it's like, you know, you've set sat nav and off you go, and it goes in a particular way. And it will go that way unless you give it a steer to go in another direction. By the way, these brain pathways don't disappear. No, they don't, can't obliterate them. You, you can't change a brain pathway. What mm. you can do is build a new one mm. that is more efficient or mm. more direct or mm. gives you the result that you want. That old pathway is still there. Yeah. The fact that the, my singer could swap between two or three different versions says that that pathway is still there. They're all there. So it's really very interesting. And the result was amazing. <sighs> Because they were super pleased, oh, weren't they? Thrilled, yeah. thrilled to bits. Mm. It's actually, I'm going to tell you the phrase that she said was, Where have you been? Where have you been all my life? Oh, uh, yes. Which is brilliant because she could do the thing that she wanted to do. Now, that's not my choice. It's not my taste. It's not my decision. That wasn't my anything. I asked her at the beginning of the session, What do you want to achieve? And mm. she said, I want to achieve this specific thing. Mm. And so everything I then did was, basically geared towards getting her to achieve that thing because it was clearly achievable. But the other thing was experimenting with routes to get there so that I said, I'm hearing this, let's change that bit. Okay, does that work better? Yes, it does. Okay, we'll keep that. Uh, I also hear this, let's change it to that. Does that work better? No, it doesn't. Okay, ditch that one, that's fine. Keep the one that you started with, let's add to it. Mm. So it's very interesting, the whole business of, this is where the diagnosis comes in, Mm. is what does your singer want to do? Can you diagnose the root and the gradient to get them there? This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 9 of This Is A Voice. The podcast where we get vocal about voice. I'm Jeremy Fisher. And I'm Dr Gillian Case. And today we are talking about lessons, one-to-one lessons. Now, you've probably seen books, you've seen the podcast, obviously, because you're here, you've heard the podcast, but you may not know what we really do in our one-to-one sessions. And actually, one of the reasons why we wanted to do this week is that we've just been watching case histories from our cohort 22-23 accreditation group yes. and seeing how they are rolling in the lessons. Because if you're going to teach teachers, you actually really need to dig into the nitty gritty of what is a lesson? What, you know, what goes on there? The question for me really is, probably the question for you too, is do we actually walk the talk? So when you're teaching teachers, it's very easy to spout but do we actually do what we say we do? So we thought we would share with you what we do in lessons, the sort of things that happen, the sort of type of lessons that we do, what we offer. Yeah, summer is here, and we've spent a lot of time developing our website, getting a whole load of ducks in a row. Yes. And we are able at last to open up our teaching studio a little bit more because it's been hard for people to get sessions from us. It has, yes. We've been booked out for a long time. And in fact, it wasn't just doing the website, it was putting all the courses up as well. Mm. So we really have been working hard behind the scenes. But now the studios are open again. So let's talk. The interesting thing for me is 
the whole power balance of teacher-student and how that works. Yes. Can I just say something here, a little shout-out for Kari Reagan and colleagues who've written a number of articles about evidence-based practice. Kari says there's an inherent power imbalance in a singing lesson, and it is true. We have that potential to really wield that power in a potentially negative way. And it's something that's been talked about a lot at the moment, isn't it, Jeremy, about singer agency being client-led. This is actually not new information. Being client-led dates back to work in 2012 that came out of the Bologna report. And we've been doing it for ages. But what I want to do is to look at the extremes because often this is the way I work. I look at the extremes and go, what are the extremes and where do we fit? Is it somewhere in the middle or is it towards one of the extremes? So extreme number one is the guru method, Mm. which is the student says nothing, does nothing, and the guru just tells them exactly what to do and they have to do it and repeat it. And I know the most extreme version is where the singer was not allowed to practice at all by themselves. They could only practice in front of the singing teacher. That is guru gone mad. Okay, you've definitely stated your opinion. I certainly have. Okay, but basically, no, no, you know what I think about that. So going to the other extreme is where the student leads absolutely everything and the teacher says nothing at all. So the teacher is just standing there. And I don't know that those singing lessons actually exist, but that is the most extreme version of the opposite. Yeah, I want to go sort of into the in-between places because that's what I'm like. Sometimes somebody will be coming to you for lessons because they just want to sing. Sing. Yes, And if you're comfortable with that and it fits with your values and your goals as a teacher, then your job at that moment is to hold the space for learning or exploration or pleasure for for that student, for that client at that moment. So really the question, but the fascinating thing for me about that particular thing that you've just said is anyone could do that. Literally anybody could bring people into the room and go, and now I'm providing you with a space to play or a space to sting or a, a space to enjoy yourself, whatever. The interesting thing for me is that singing teachers, vocal coaches, people who have skill and who've actually worked at their skill and who've trained and who've done lots of education themselves, they have things to give. The question is, when do you give them? At what level do you give them? And who do you give them to? So I very much think that there is a place for experimentation and play and allowing the singer to just sing and find out what goes on so that they do introspective learning. Totally with that. And I do it a lot myself. However, I don't think that's the whole story. I think the whole point of you being good at what you do and passing that on is that you do have to instruct at some point, even if you say, here are three possible things that you could do. Let's do them one at a time. And then you experiment and you find out which one works and best for you. And what do you think? Yeah. And you can, still have to give those instructions. Yeah. Can I say guide? And the instructions are part of guidance. Yes. Yeah. I also, by the way, think it depends on what level your student is. If your student is very experienced, and I mean, I work with very experienced singers, actors, presenters, voice people, and often you just need to suggest a tweak and off they go. 
if you're working with somebody, it's their first singing lesson, then actually it doesn't matter what age they are because mm. they could be 66 and having their first singing lesson. They could mm. be seven and having their first singing lesson. It doesn't matter. Mm. If you're having your first singing lesson, there is going to be an element, more of an element of instruction in there. There's going to be more, can you do this? Here's a sequence that I want you to play with or however you word it. Mm. Anyway, on to what do we do in lessons? What do you do in lessons, Julia? Can I give a little bit of a shout out for Melissa Cross, who did a post recently about the work that she does with extreme vocals. And I do love the way that Melissa words things. Yeah. And one of her video legends the other day was, the purpose of vocal mechanics is discovery, self-discovery. So if yeah. we're teaching, if we're instructing vocal mechanics, it's discovery and then putting it putting it into playfulness, putting it into the context of the song. And I just love the way that's been worded. Me too. I'm going to say that a lesson is more than vocal mechanics because sometimes this gets forgotten. The voice coaches listening and the vocal coaches listening will know that straight away because there's a lot more to it. There's musicality, there's phrasing, there's shape. There's psychology. There's, there's psychology, there's presentation, there's performance. There's all sorts of things in there. And... It's very interesting. If you are a singing teacher who deals with vocal mechanics, sometimes the end result can get lost in there. That's true. And by the way, that's absolutely not what we meant by giving a shout out for that lovely No, quote. not at all. I love that. Um, Jeremy, I wrote some notes down about this in terms of what goes on yep. in a lesson. Yes. And first of all, find out what the client wants or sometimes what the client thinks they want. Mm. Ask questions, narrow it down. Yep. Sometimes you've got to hypothesize what's going on, you know, inside functionally to create the sound that they're making at the moment that they may wish to change, for example, or access to a note. You've got to hypothesize. We know about vocal function, but always really you're making that little leap. Is it that? Ask questions if needed. If you try something out and it doesn't work, investigate before you do. You know, people are very fond of this word diagnosis. We're quite fond of the word. We diagnosis. are. We are quite fond of that yeah, word. Yeah, but you know, it is. It's much more of a movable feast than people think. Ask questions, then raise awareness in the client. So maybe you decide, I'm going to try this out. First of all, raise awareness of the behavior itself, yeah, so that they know what it is that they're doing, they know what it is they sound like, they have an idea of, of shape and so forth. Can we just stop there? Because for some people, that's extremely difficult because they have yeah. no self-awareness. One of the things that have been really fascinating working with the teachers that we're working with at the moment is exercises to help raise the student's self-awareness. Yeah. And so much of it is repetition. So, so much of it is, can you sing that phrase? Uh, now, can you sing that phrase again? Do exactly the same thing. Mm. Sing that phrase again. Close your eyes, go inside, sing it again. What do you feel? What do you hear? What are you aware of? What do you taste? And there's all sorts of senses that you mm. can use mm. to start becoming aware. There's an, an, a very interesting one as well, which is also indirectly to do with nerves, which is, can you sing, but can you listen to what's going on in the room around you? So you're singing, but you can hear the birdsong outside, or you're singing and you can hear the traffic. And it's something about changing your awareness of what's going on, which really helps raise it. I like that. 
So we're investigating, we're raising awareness, mm -hmm. and then maybe what we think would be useful would be to introduce a new way of doing things. Yep. And we can do that via exploration. We get feedback. You and I like, we live in a world of comparisons. Oh, please. Let's do, let's do comparison. Yes. Yeah. Do it one way, do it another way, explore. If we had a signature way of working, one aspect of it would be getting people to do it in another modality. In other words, not singing, mm -hmm. getting them to do it in a, an emotional speaking voice or an intoning. Absolutely. Yep. So that they begin to experience it in a different way. I just, I want to go to comparison because I am mm. so mm. strong on this. I think it's one of the quickest ways for people to identify things. So you say, do what you do. And now here's a different behavior. Do that. And now go back to what you did. Now go to the new behavior. Now go back to what you did. And often people who have very little self-awareness will discover something doing that. And it's all about doing two different things and working out what the difference is. And can we just say here, when we're talking about self-awareness, we're not talking about self-awareness of the person. We're talking about the level of perhaps sensory awareness mm -hmm. that an experienced vocalist, experienced performer may have. And that a less experienced vocalist may not have that sensory awareness or may be super, super sensory and not know how to deal with those multiple sensations. Absolutely. Does that, I mean, Absolutely. You know, it, it sounded a bit like this is a negative thing. It, no. It's not. It, it's, we just need our own awareness of it as it teachers. It really helps you focus. I want to give an example. I was doing a session, coaching session, singing lesson with a classical mezzo doing 19th century coloratura, lots and lots of runs, lots of high notes, lots of all sorts of things in that piece. Your happy place. Oh, I love working 19th century coloratura roles. Love it. If, you don't, if you're not aware of what the word coloratura means, it basically means extended riffs, okay, yeah. but in the classical world. And it was really interesting because there was a particular thing that she wanted to target. So we experimented with two or three different resonance shapes. And I said, swap between them, just go backwards and forwards between. And then we found one that worked. And I said, do what you used to do. Now do what you do. Now do what you used to do. Now do what you do. And it was doing that. It embeds that mechanism so fast. Because when you go back to your own standard muscle memory, brain pathway shape thing, mm -hmm. you can recognize why it doesn't work. And that is a tremendous motivator for changing it. Tremendous. It's one of the strongest motivators I know. I think you're absolutely right. And really what you're talking about is ways of introducing a new pathway. Yes. So sometimes what we have to do is it's almost to interrupt that um, that process and we interrupt that pathway. Hmm. I often say to my um, clients, it's like, you know, you've set sat nav and off you go and it goes in a particular way and it will go that way unless you give it a steer to go in another direction. By the way, these brain pathways don't disappear. No, they don't, can't obliterate them. You, you can't change a brain pathway. What you mm. can do is build a new one mm. that is more efficient or mm. more direct or mm. gives you the result that you want. That old pathway is still there. Yeah. The fact that the, my singer could swap between two or three different versions says that that pathway is still there. They're all there. So it's really very interesting. And the result was amazing. <sighs> Because they were super pleased, oh, weren't they? Thrilled, yeah. thrilled to bits. Mm. It's actually, I'm going to tell you the phrase that she said was, Where have you been? 
where have you been all my life? Oh, uh, which is brilliant because she could do the thing that she wanted to do. Now, that's not my choice. It's not my taste. It's not my decision. That wasn't my anything. I asked her at the beginning of the session, what do you want to achieve? And she mm. said, I want to achieve this specific thing. Mm. And so everything I then did was basically geared towards getting her to achieve that thing because it was clearly achievable. But the other thing was experimenting with routes to get there so that I said, I'm hearing this, let's change that bit. Okay, does that work better? Yes, it does. Okay, we'll keep that. Uh, I also hear this, let's change it to that. Does that work better? No, it doesn't. Okay, ditch that one, that's fine. Keep the one that you started with, let's add to it. Mm. So it's very interesting, the whole business of, this is where the diagnosis comes in, Mm. is what does your singer want to do? Can you diagnose the root and the gradient to get them there? Sorry, I'm off on a I'm off on a thing now. Gradient. No, that's fine. That's fine. Can we talk um, about gradient? Yeah, diagnose as in work out what's going on. Yes. Investigate. Yes. Just you've said some really useful stuff here, and I just want to you know, pull it out there so people can hear. Yeah. We're talking about interrupting, changing the pathway, changing the behaviour, if you like, by inviting people to try something different. Then what you're doing is repeating. Yes, absolutely. And then you're embedding within the song context in the context of this particular lesson. Yes. But, of course, the great thing to do then is to generalise that new skill, generalise that behaviour by saying, let's look at these three other pieces where there's coloratura. Can we apply the same thing? And that's a wonderful bit of target practice for your clients if they are learning a new skill. It was one of the things yeah. that, that I did, and it's not, there's so many ways of doing it. first way is to take the phrase that they've been working on and say, that skill that you've just learned, go back earlier into the aria and do a different phrase, but with that, take the same composer and a different aria from that composer and do that, the same thing in that skill. But there's more to it than that. One of the things that I was doing in terms of sequencing was to look at the music and the pattern and the shape of the phrasing and the shape of the runs. And I created an exercise which was targeting sustained high notes followed by coloratura. So the sustained high note was, if you like, it was one of the issues that she wanted to deal with. But it's important that you don't just hit a sustained note and go, there we go, it's fixed. It has to be in a context. And the sustained note in this particular bit of the aria, you go a scale up, hit the sustain note, and then do another scale down. And we had to do that. We had to put it into context. So I brought it down a minor third, and I said, let's do a scale, which is basically an octave run up, pause on the top note, and then do go up a tone and come back down again. Oh, the magic minor third. So love it, it. It, the exercise sounded like this. That, it's just that, which is a very straightforward classical melisma thing. But we then did it up a semitone, and we did it up a semitone, and we didn't put the pause on the top note. And we put went up a semitone, we put the pause on the top note, but ran faster. So you're playing around with that run. You're playing around with that shape. Then you put it back into the context of the song, but without the lyrics, because we needed to find out if the lyrics were causing problems. Mm. Then you did the lyrics just on one note or on a little one, two, three, one, two, three, two, one run riff. And then we started putting it back together again. It was really interesting discovering 
the things that were working and the things that were getting in the way. And the more you do that type of breakdown, the quicker it is to get rid of the things that are getting in the way and keep the things that are working. So when you're working with a client or a student on a piece of material, on a song, sometimes you have to do a lot of unpicking what's going on. You're very good at unpicking. It's one of your things. I love it. I love doing that. I love working out precisely what the problem is. And sometimes I have to ask questions or I'll ask people, can you just sing this? Now, can you sing it without the, the words? Can you change the vowel on it? Can we, can, you know, all of that thing. Can we put the lyrics on one note? There's all sorts of things that you do to discover where the problem is. Fun. That was a fun one. And interestingly, the following session, two sessions in a row, this one was on 19th century classical coloratura stuff. The next session was how do I belt but not shout? And this was in rock. It was such an interesting session that we, where we got to was all sorts of snarling. And I don't do distortion. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I don't know how to do it. So mm-hmm. if you're interested in distortion, we know lots of experts who will help you there. But we were interested in changing resonating shape to make things easier, to make mm-hmm. it sound louder without being louder. Uh, she played a little track of one of her clients, and I went, oh, yes, I hear the, I hear the problem. He wants to sound like it's really hard work, but the problem is it is really hard work. So we had to change. And I was showing, I was taking it through, her through in her voice how to sing that type of material with a particular resonating shape not working very hard, but still having that dramatic impact. Really fascinating. And I think I want to say here, this is quite typical of inexperienced singers. They'll hear the sound output of a more experienced singer, and particularly if there's something like perceived effort there, and they'll think they have to make that effort. It's, I've been on this for years. Mm. The dif- I've written, I've written about it. I've done stuff about it. The difference between perceived effort and real effort is so big and it's so important. So if as a singer, you want to make people think that you are working really hard, but you're doing eight shows a week or you're in the recording studio for a week, that is not a good idea. You won't have a voice left at the end mm. of it. So what you do is you work out how to do it easily. And then you put certain style features in to make it sound like you're working harder. It actually shocked the teacher that I was working with to say, when you sing that phrase and you go up to that top note, can you make it flat? And she went, what do you mean, can you make it flat? I want to go on the note. And I said, no, make it flat, Mm. sing it flat. Mm. Because in that context, in that phrase, in that style, that top note, if it's slightly flat, sounds like it work, you're working harder. And that's what we want. And she did it and she went, oh, my God, it's a game changer. I think this is very interesting. And uh, it could even be a whole other podcast content, which is the different types of effort perception that we need between the genres. Yes. Because if you're a classical singer listening to this, you're going to think, but everything should sound effortless. That's Absolutely, it should. Absolutely, um, it should. You want to sound effortless. You want to sound like it's easy. You want to sound like Mm. you're just falling off the notes. It's just so easy. And of course, it isn't. There's a lot going on. But in the classical world, you do not want to sound like you're working hard. In the rock world, you want to sound like you're working hard. Absolutely. And then there are different goals in different types of musical theatre singing and pop singing and so forth. Oh, interesting. Jeremy, should we talk... Masterclass. Let's talk masterclasses. Because now, isn't a masterclass a very interesting situation? Because 
you're again potentially in a, a situation of power imbalance. I can tell you that I, when I was a young singer, going to master classes, you know, with a leading teacher and being absolutely deflated by somebody famous. It was horrible. And that can really, really knock your confidence. And in this instance, I don't think it was because that particular person uh, wanted to do a massive ego trip. I think they were very geared towards, you're not very good, you're not very experienced, et cetera, et cetera. So I was left very much with the feeling that I wasn't good enough. And You've just described a massive ego. Yeah. Okay. Have I? All right. I was trying to be kind. (laughs) No, don't be kind. Be real. And that's a um, massive ego. Other singers that she liked to work with were much better than me. Actually, they were a lot more advanced than me. But it was quite clear she did not have time for me. I mean, if you're in a masterclass where there's more than one singer and they're there to work with you as the masterclass guru people, I think it really behoves you as the person doing the masterclass to be very, very sensitive to that. The stupid, I didn't know I was going to say that and come out with that. But. The, the stupid thing is that if you, it, it all depends on your viewpoint of your own role in the masterclass. If you are there to support the singer and to help the singer and to get the singer to improve something, then shouting at them, swearing at them, pulling them down, destroying their egos is not a way that would ever work for me. And the thing is, it can be frustrating because sometimes you don't know who's going to come in. Oh, yes. Yeah, and <laughs> we've, had, we've had that when we we've been working that. abroad and you yes. think, oh, crikey, what am I going to do now? Yeah. How am I going to, first of all, naturally you want to make a difference because the word master is there in the title of the event, okay? So, of course, you want to show that you're mastering. You have to do your best to put your ego aside at that moment and find out what you can do with that singer in that situation that makes a difference. You also, I think, and this is really important, you have 15 minutes. You don't even have what would be considered a standard lesson time. Some lessons are 20 minutes, some half an hour, some are an hour. But you have 15 minutes in front of an audience. Now, being in front of an audience will actually slow the process of learning down. Yeah. So, in fact, in reality, you probably have seven or eight minutes, if that, because of the speed that everything happens, because of people's nerves, because of the audience reactions. There's all sorts of things that go on Mm, in a masterclass. So you have less time than you think. And this is, honestly, this is where the choose one thing and focus on it thing is absolutely vital. It is no good trying to get somebody in a masterclass to a performance level Mm. in seven minutes. If they're not ready. If they are not not ready ready to do it. I think what I want to say here about you're going to, you need to find one thing that will make a difference. Mm. And that's not to show your skills. It's for the singer to leave feeling that they have been supported and uplifted in that situation. And it could be that your job with this particular singer in the room is just to allow them to feel more comfortable singing in front of an audience. That might be all it is. Or it might be that your job, depending on the situation, is to give them a little bit more empowerment, as in what is it that you want to do? 
Mm. And to think about that. Mm. That's really nice. And Jeremy's quite rightly said, choose one thing. Choose wisely. Yeah, choose wisely. But if you don't find the right key, don't be afraid as a masterclass leader to stand up and say, do you know what? I think we should try something else out. And thank you very much for exploring in the way that I asked you to. I'd like to take you in a different direction. Is that okay? There's something that's very important in a masterclass, I think, and it's even more important in the class than it is in a lesson, Mm. which is to say, as the masterclass person, because you are the person in power, I made a mistake. Yeah. Not you didn't follow my instructions, we're going to have to do something else. Because that doesn't even have to be said, it can be implied. If you say, I think I've taken you down the wrong route, I've got a different idea, let's go here. There is something about care. And obviously, we are very aware of care of a singing student. Some people aren't. Some people just go, I am here to show you that you can't do what you think you can do. And now I do the magic word, I wave my magic wand, and now you can do it. I always think at the end of that class, but can the singer actually repeat it? But hey, that is a possibility. You go in as a god, and you wave your magic wand. This is a very, very weird... (laughs) Very weird simile. I now have a picture of a godlike figure waving a magic wand. And then the singer goes, oh, look, I can sing. In your presence, I can sing everything. That's absolutely fine. And then you walk away, and then they can't do it. Do you know what? Something something that's just occurred to me. That went very weird. This, of course, you are weird. This, of course, is because we're about to do our first public masterclass in the UK for a while. For a while. At Global Connections. Yes. Shout out to Global Connections. This is a joint venture between AOTOS, the Association of Teachers of Singing in the UK, NATS, the National Association of Teachers of Singing in America, and EFTA, the European Voice Teachers Association. Yeah. And can I say also assisted by the British Voice Association. British Voice Association, BVA. I'm a very long-term member. Yes. I was just thinking there's the potential for a singer to be overawed by having two people lead the masterclass. This is, and how yeah. do we handle that? Because good point. I think generally they have a really good time with us. Good point, mm. yes. Normally when you do a masterclass, it's one person and one singer, and mm. here you've got the two-to-one relationship mm. because they get both of us. Mm. And uh, I am not the sort of person to sit at the piano and say nothing. Sorry, don't do that. Nope. Stop doing that a long time ago. So how do they cope with both of us? Part of it is the relationship that we have Mm. means that, first of all, we can do shortcuts. We can do shortcut speak. We can do short. We do mentally the diagnosis that we teach other people to do, and we actually have got used to doing it together. So we do real shorthand now that we can say one word and we know what each other is is heading for. We call this the brain dump. And what we do is we're mentally sifting. And actually in this particular event, that's something that we're going to share with the the audience 
probably after we've worked with the singer. It's going to be fun sharing the brain dumps. Um, so the other thing that we do, because we've worked together for so long, yeah. is that if somebody, if one of us has an idea about where they want to go and the other one goes, okay, I see that, mm. then the other one will step back and allow that process to happen and then step in when they think either the process is finished or there's another place that we can go with the process. And then when that happens, the other one steps back. So we... Yeah almost never argue on stage <laughs> we might argue off stage but we almost never argue on stage because we know that the other person has an idea and a process that they want to go through and um, that's interesting because there's that dynamic as well that we've had to learn to handle we in have. public absolutely yeah. i would say that we are each other's best secret weapon. Yes, actually, I think that's fair. that is one of the things that makes our workers, masterclass leaders, really powerful. Also, I mean, we have slightly different skill sets. You can hear from listening to Jeremy talk about giving a one-to-one lesson, working on 19th century coloratura, how much of the musician, the collaborative pianist, and the musical director he brings with him to the table and that understanding of musical performance. Whereas I'm I'm much more the technician, the diagnostician, and I tend to bring that to the table. And I think... Absolutely. And there are circumstances where I go, I know that Gillian can do this far faster Mm -hmm. and far better and far deeper than I can, so over to you. And occasionally... He'll bring something out of the box, absolutely out in left, <laughs> out of left field. field. And I go, what? Yes. You really want to do that? Yes. And then what's happened? He's found a way of doing exactly what it was I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, Shortcut. It's, it's a rich process for us, isn't it? So uh, part of this is where can you see us do this? And the Global Connections one is we so rarely do live masterclasses in the UK. We do far more in Europe and Australia and around the world, but we do very rarely in the UK. So this is one of our rare appearances in the UK. It is June the 4th, Sunday, June 4th, Virtues 8 studio in St. Paul's in London. And we hope you've signed up. We hope you've signed up. Because I gather it's full. Sold out. However, fear not. Yeah. If you want to see us work with singers in a masterclass, there are a couple of options. First of all, we have Mastering Musical Theatre in the Deep Dive. I'm going to release a free preview of us doing one of the masterclass sessions in the Deep Mm. Dive. So I will put the link in the show notes underneath. Deep Dive is in our Learning Lounge. Learning Lounge, Level 2, Deep Dive, Mastering Musical Theatre. Go and have a look at that because that's free to access. And then also, if you, by the way, if you like the free preview, sign up. It's monthly. You can stop after a month. And oh. for that month, you get now well over 600 videos of us teaching, of masterclasses, oh, the of deep courses. Huge. The second one is the newest course online, 12 Hours to Better Singing Teaching. Yes. And Unit 5, which is two hours worth of that 12 hours, mm. is basically us doing what we've just been talking about, Mm -hmm. which is we see a student, we work with them, and then with all the teachers who were there, this is a pre-recorded course, Mm -hmm. we explain why we did something, we ask questions of them, we find out what they would have done, what their focus is. It's a really fascinating breakdown of how different singing teachers work. We invite the teachers to do a brain dump based on what they've been learning over the previous units. Yeah. And then we work with the student via Zoom and 
as Jeremy said, what we do afterwards is we share our practice. Why did we do what we did? What would they have done differently, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very rich process. And we're working with um, one male singer on Maria. Maria from West Side Story. The other singer singing in German. And this is a female singer, and it's uh, Journey to the Past. Journey to the Past from Anastasia, Ah. the uh, cartoon. So if you want to see what we do, you know, head to that course. So good. Summer is here now, and you've got time to do that studying. Now, there's one more thing, and Mm. we're going to check this out with you, because we had so many people apply to work in the masterclass that we're doing in June that we are looking at doing online masterclasses with these singers and mm. these singers are either professionals or they are final year students or they've ju- from drama training colleges or they have left and they're now in the business and so we've had this idea to do an online masterclass where we work with these singers and then we invite people who are watching to make comments to say what they would do mm. and we find out how all of that works and the question is would you be interested in watching that? So it's a kind, it's a version of our pedagogy practicum that yep. we do on the accreditation training, but using singers in a masterclass situation as a lesson, if you like. It's a sample lesson that you're seeing yes. as we work with the student and then discussing and brainstorming what was going on. I think it's going to be such fun, Jeremy. And all of this will be done online because we are now, I mean, we've been doing online masterclasses for 12 Mm. years, 12 Mm. or 13 years now, but since the pandemic, it's been so streamlined. Mm. So what we're looking at is doing it online and you can drop in or we will record it and you can watch it afterwards. Let us know if you would be interested in this because if you are, we'll set it up. Absolutely. Now we're going to set it up anyway. I think that's a really interesting place to pause. Mm. We have so much more to talk about, including career mentoring and vocal rehabilitation and different types of lessons that we do. That's going to have to be episode 10. We're going to save that for episode 10. So we will see you for episode 10. Bye. This is a voice a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kays and Jeremy Fisher.